Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and let's turn together to the book of Acts. And our primary text this morning is verse 42 of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. But we're going to be looking at several verses from the book of Acts. Last Sunday morning we began a 12-week study on the local church. We are looking over the next 12 weeks at six commitments of a church member to his church and then six commitments of every church to its members. The most basic of Membership commitments is that of gathering, as we saw last week. Gathering together in that accountability relationship. That commitment has a number of implications, as you might have gathered. First, that we must view the local church as a family and as a body rather than a service industry. And each member of the family, each part of the body, in other words, has the obligation to use his or her spiritual gifts in the context of the local church. And the local church is where we perform those one another's that we looked at last week. And speaking of the one another's, one of the most important things that we do for one another is to pray for one another. And that is the second commitment of church membership. Let's look at the commitment to pray in the local church. Now devotion to prayer has been a hallmark of the New Testament church since the day of Pentecost. Really, before the day of Pentecost. Turn back one page to chapter 1 of Acts, and you remember that the Lord Jesus, after He was resurrected, taught among His disciples for another 40 days, and there He ascended up into heaven. And He instructed them to wait for the Holy Spirit at Jerusalem. And this is what we read, Acts 1.12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now along comes the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Well, guess what they were doing? They were praying. The church was born in an atmosphere of prayer. And when the Holy Spirit came with power and Peter preached, 3,000 people were converted in one day and baptized. And what did they do after that? You think they stopped praying? Not for a minute. That brings us uh, to our text today, Acts chapter 2. Let me begin in verse 41 and I'll read verse 42 as well. In the context of Pentecost, so then... Those who had received His word, that is Peter's word, were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His word. Now we see that prayer is listed right alongside the teaching of the apostles and fellowship, that is the one another's and with the ordinances, the breaking of bread. And there's three things about prayer in the local church that I want us to see. Number one, the people of prayer, and then the priority of prayer, and then I want to spend most of our time on the purposes of prayer. What should we pray for in the local church? Now you will notice that uh, Luke uses a plural pronoun, they devoted themselves to prayer. Of whom does he speak? 
Well, he's speaking, of course, of those he has listed in the first two chapters, the 120, the disciples, their wives, and then I'm sure their children. And so I think there's an important principle even in that little historical note, and that is prayer is not to be seen as the purview of some exalted class of Christians. It is the work of all Christians. In fact, it is to be the air in which we breathe. Christians should be as devoted to praying as fish are to swimming, because that's what we do. That is who we are. It's not just the apostles. It's not just the pastors. It's the men, the women, and and the children. Don't you love to hear children pray? There is a lack of pretense and a sincerity in the prayers of children that all of us could learn from. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking this morning about the people of prayer. I'm going to assume you understand that if you're a Christian, your life ought to be noted by devotion to prayer. And the second question then is, what is to be the priority of prayer? Where does it come in the list of important things that the church does? Well, someone has rightly noted that prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. But unfortunately, that is the case. We uh, get out a piece of paper and a pen, and we begin to write the cons on one side and the pros on the other of some decision, right? And we come up with strategies. We come up with agendas. And when all else fails, then we call a prayer meeting. Well, in the context of the, the New Testament church, prayer was the beginning point, the ending point, and in the middle point, right? They devoted themselves continually to prayer. You'll note this is not something they did on a whim or sporadically or when times got tough. They continually devoted themselves to prayer. Continually tells us they did it every time they got together. And devoted tells us that this was something that was not an option. They did it. They could not help but pray because they sensed their great need of the Savior. 1 Timothy 2.1, Paul is writing to the young pastor Timothy, who's a brand new pastor at the church of Ephesus, and he's giving him all kinds of fatherly and uh, pastoral advice about pastoring the church. This is what he says, First of all, I urge you that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Now, he's not just talking about Timothy's job as a pastor in his private prayer time. I take it, he says, Timothy, teach the people to be devoted to prayer as their work in the church. And when he says, first of all, that means of highest importance. It speaks of the priority of prayer as the work of the local church. And when I was uh, in college many years ago, I became involved in the Baptist Student Union there, where I met uh, many wonderful believers. And we had two meetings a week. One was uh, for fellowship, we had lunch together. And the other was uh, a worship and a prayer meeting. And the title, the name that they advertised that meeting was Priority. And we'd see one another in class, we'd say, are you going to Priority tonight? And I think there are a lot of bad name, names for ministries in the church, but that's a good one. Prayer ought to be the priority when believers get together, but it's often not. Have you ever been in a committee meeting or some church function, and some well-meaning leader will say something like, well, Glad all of you are here today. I want to honor your time. So let's have a word of prayer so we can get started. And I always want to ask, get started with what? <laughs> because prayer is not some perfunctory obligation that we do so we can get to the good stuff. Prayer is the good stuff. In fact, prayer is the function and the work of believers anytime that they get together. 
And so the priority of prayer is obvious. As I said, Luke puts it right beside the teaching of the apostles and of fellowship and of the ordinances. And I want to spend the most of our time today on the third point, the purposes of prayer. We know we should pray. We know we're to be people of prayer. We know that prayer is a priority throughout the New Testament. So what are the things we should pray about and for? Well, going back to 1 Timothy 2, Paul says we should pray for our government officials, pray for our nation so that we can live in peace, so that the gospel would go forth. We ought to pray for the lost, he says. And then, of course, we should offer petitions and intercessions. That is, we should pray for one another. And, and when you're family, you know the specifics of what you need to pray for, right? One of the reasons that, that I preached last week about the reason we can't remain aloof from one another is that we don't know how to pray specifically for one another when we're not close enough to share those kinds of things. And when we talk about prayer as a commitment of church membership, as we're doing today, we need some help, don't we, in thinking through how to pray specifically for your church. And usually, when we need help thinking about something in the church, the Apostle Paul is a good place to turn. And if you have read the Pauline literature recently, you know that Paul has a difficult time writing even a short letter to churches without stopping to pray for them. In the book of Ephesians, it's only six chapters long. Twice, he says, I bow my knee to pray for you. He had to just stop and pray right, right then and there as he's writing the letter. And what does he pray for? Well, first and foremost, he prays for their corporate sanctification. And you know that sanctification is the process which we become more and more like Jesus over a lifetime. The moment we're saved, we're born again, we are justified. God pronounces us no longer guilty and forgiven. And when we die or when Jesus returns, we are going to enter into heavenly glory at glorification. But between justification and glorification, there's life to live. And we call that the process of sanctification. And just as individuals make progress and grow in maturity, so too do local churches make progress and grow Corporately. And this is what Paul prayed, for example, the church at Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians 1. He says this, To this end we always pray for you. Paul says, I make it a habit of life to pray for the saints in the church at Thessalonica. And here's what I pray for. He says, That our God may make you worthy of your calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. Colossians 1. Speaking to the church at Colossae, he writes, We have not ceased to pray for you. That is, he is devoted to continually praying this one prayer for the church at Colossae, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Are you sensing a pattern with Paul's prayer life? Very rarely does Paul pray that people will have perfect health. Very rarely does he pray that, that they'd have all of their needs met. Now, now, Paul does occasionally mention people by name whose health he is praying for. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with praying for one another's physical needs. We ought to do that. But it's very informative to note that in almost all of Paul's prayers that we have in the New Testament, the prayers are focused on the spiritual rather than the material. The reason for that is Paul knows that there are two realms. One is temporary and one is eternal. In this temporary realm, yes, we're going to face 
trouble. Job says, as the sparks fly upward, so man was made for trouble. Christians are not immune to that, nor exempt from that. But Paul takes even his prayers for the temporal and the material to a spiritual level. He prays that the Lord would take our physical infirmities and our depravities, and our deprivations rather here, not our depravities, our deprivations here, and, and God would turn those into sanctification. Now, we know that. James, the brother of Jesus, said that it's through trials that comes patience, right? And patience is evidence of sanctification. And, and so, yes, we ought to pray for those on the sick list. But one of the things we ought to pray for our brothers and sisters on the sick list is that God would use this time of suffering in their lives to make them more like Jesus. And we ought to ask them to pray the same things for us when we're suffering. Ephesians 1. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Those are consistent things Paul prays for the local church. Wisdom, knowledge, and the ability to complete everything that God gives them to do. Now the second thing, second purpose of prayer in the local church is for unity. Jesus taught us how to pray for unity. John 17, verse 20. Praying to God the Father. God the Son says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Speaking of the apostles and, and those first generation Christians, those who were physically there with Jesus. He says, I'm not just praying for these people, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Now, who are those who believe in Jesus through the word of the apostles? Raise your hand if you're a Christian, right? Because none of us were around when Jesus walked this planet. And so God's plan was that Jesus would come and He would invest in these 12 men. Then He would die, be resurrected, and ascend into glory. He would send the Holy Spirit in power on the day of Pentecost. And those apostles would spread out and begin to preach the gospel. And then they would die. And then those who came to faith as a result of those apostles' teaching would share that with the next generation. They would die, and that generation would share, and so on and so forth, down to this day. If you're saved here today, it's because of the word that Jesus gave those apostles. And so Jesus prayed for you. You're in the Bible, if you're a Christian. Jesus prays for all of those who would be saved through the preaching of the apostles, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now notice the reasons why Jesus wanted there to be unity in the church. Not so there could be peace and quiet. Not so that we can all just get along. It's, it's certainly a more pleasant environment when people are getting along. But it's for His good name. It's for His glory. So that the gospel would not be hindered or encumbered by a bad reputation in the community. He says the same thing in verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as they love me. Here's what happens when a church is known for its love for one another and its unity is that a lost and dying world looks in from the outside and sees something beautiful. And they see a true representation of God's, the Father's love for God the Son, and God the Son's love for the Father, and the Holy Spirit's love for the Father, 
and the Son. And when we are not in unity, when we're not living that way, when our reputation is of disunity in the church, it's not just that it's no fun to go to church anymore, it's that the good name of God is besmirched. And we must pray that Satan would never have a foothold here to bring about disunity in this church so that the good name of our Lord is not defamed. Third thing, another reason to pray and something to pray for is that prayer keeps the church connected to the ultimate source of our strength and power. That it reminds us of our total dependence on God to accomplish anything of eternal significance. Because we know that it is the tendency of all human beings that when things are going good to start depending on ourselves. For many years our denomination grew and grew and we became, I think, rather prideful in our statistics. But for the last 10 years or so, those statistics have been going the other direction. Attendance is down, giving is down, um, baptisms are down. And I almost dread going to denominational meetings anymore because it's full of hand-wringing and what are we going to do and what was me. And, and a few years ago, I was attending our national convention in Houston, Texas, and once again, the entity agents came before one after another to give reports of the decline of the convention. And then we were dismissed and invited to a luncheon that the denomination was putting on. And we went to this luncheon, and we gathered in a hall, 1,500 to 2,000 people for lunch. And uh, during lunch, a program was put on about missions. And it, it was an interactive technological marvel this presentation. I mean, it was like something out of a science fiction movie. All the cutting edge technology and everyone there was just awestruck by it, including me. And, and when the lights came on and we were dismissed, we went back to our meeting on the hall, in the hall on the way out, I just said out loud to whoever was around me, we have never been more creative and never been less powerful. And a great lesson was learned by me that day. That God is not dependent on our creativity nor technological marvels to bring about His will. God works through the power and the prayer of His people. And prayer is the most important element that we can be a part of if we're going to see genuine revival and restoration in this church and in our country and in our denomination. And so I unashamed you today am calling you to, to prayer. But before we do, it's confession time. <laughs> I've done this in both services. As I reflect back on my 23 years of ministry, my biggest failure, bar none, and there have been many, is a failure to lead the churches I have pastored to understand this, that we can do nothing without the Lord to lead them to, to be more prayerful. And, and like all of us, I have fits and starts. I'll get excited and call a prayer meeting, but then when things are going well, we tend to go back to our old ways, right? I, I can remember the only other little church I ever pastored, we had about 35 souls, and they were faithful. We had 35 Sunday morning, 35 Sunday night, and 35 on Wednesday night. And if somebody was missing, we went and checked on them. And, and we called a, a weekly prayer meeting Thursday morning at 6 a.m., 
Most of the people in the church were like me. They worked a secular job. And before we went to work, we gathered uh, in this little two-room building. And uh, as, as the only paid staff, it was my obligation, I thought, to go turn the one heater on we had and have it warm when they got there. And I remember one cold winter morning, I went down at 5.30 in the morning. It lit the gas heater, and it was cold, and I was tired. And I backed up to warm myself on the fire. And uh, before you know it, I fell asleep standing up. And I awoke to the smell of smoke. And I had just bought a brand new pair of corduroy breeches. First time to wear them, and only time. Because I, I reached behind each of my knees was a football-shaped hole. And, you know, I kept those pants for several years. Because it reminded me that if we're really going to hear from heaven, we have to make sacrifices. Maybe we need to make the sacrifice of getting up a little earlier. Maybe we need to make sacrifice of turning off the television. Maybe we need to make the sacrifice of not being as devoted to a hobby as we have been in the past. If we're going to truly say, as Paul did, I am continually devoted to prayer. And it hasn't happened yet, but I, I long for the day when I wear out another pair of pants, not in the, front of the, in the back of the knees, but in the front. We need people who ruin their pants in prayer, uh, staying on their knees until they hear from heaven. And, and so this is my call to you. We are in a very important place in our church's history. We are literally just about three months from announcing we're debt free for the first time in many years. And so there's been a group of us that we've put together a committee of about 50 called the Vision Team. And we have been for a year praying through and asking God to answer the question, now what? I mean, it's going to be a great day, would you agree, when I get to stand up here and say we're debt free? The question is, now what? What does the Lord want us to do with that freedom? What does He want us to do with that surplus amount of resources now we'll have? And I'm convinced He doesn't want us to hoard it. He wants us to use it for His glory. The question is, Lord, give us wisdom. How, how do you want us to do that? And that's what we're praying through. And like no other time in, in, in my life, we have been prayerful about that. Our meetings are prayer meetings. We start and end, and in the middle there's prayer. And so now I'm calling you to join in that prayer. When we started this, I, I got in touch with about 25 men in our church that I knew were prayer warriors. And I said, will you pray with me on Mondays? And they rotate. A group of them come in every Monday and pray for me and with me through this process. James 1.5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he gives to all men freely. God is not hiding his will from us, but he wants us to humble ourselves and come to him and say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but you do. Will you show us? Would you join us in that prayer? And let, me, let me give you six specific ways to pray for First Baptist Church of Keller before we go. Number one, pray that every member of our church would have an appetite for truth. The Bible says that uh, we ought to be hungry for righteousness. And I think one of the reasons we're not hungry for righteousness is that we are often filled with the things of the world. It spoils our appetite for righteousness. I'm not just talking about overtly sinful things. I'm talking about unimportant things that crowd out that which is most important, which is what God wants to do in our life. Would you pray that God would create an overwhelming hunger for righteousness and truth in this church. Secondly, that we would remain devoted to God's Word. 
We live in an epic of history where opinions of men are available like never before. You turn on the news, you turn on your computer, you will be inundated with the opinions of men. I don't know about you, but I'm about tired of the opinions of men. The Bible says it is not the opinion of men. It is the Word of God. It is eternal. It is active and alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. Would you pray that we would devote ourselves to God's Word and hearing from Him? Would you pray for our wisdom as a church family? Wisdom is the application of knowledge. We have all the knowledge we need here. Would you pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us to apply that knowledge in all of our decisions? And through those decision-making processes, would you pray for the unity of the church? Anytime something new comes along, there is the opportunity for Satan to cause disunity. Would you join me in praying that he would never have a foothold here? And what I'm praying for specifically as it relates to our vision team is that not only would our unity be maintained through this process, that it would be enhanced that it would draw us closer together than we've ever been. And then would you pray that our church would remain and become even more so compassionate and tender for the lost in this community. Sometimes in our busyness doing great things for the Lord, we forget that we pass on the street every day people who will spend eternity in hell unless the Lord saves them. Would you ask Him to give us a burden and a tender compassion for the lost here And and then the last one is just a summation of all the others. Would you pray for the corporate sanctification of First Baptist Church of Keller? Would you pray the prayers of the Apostle Paul for First Baptist Church of Keller? And as a member, would you commit yourself to praying for every other member of this church? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And it's a convicting word today, Lord. We know we ought to pray. We know that those Christians who came before us were people of prayer. And and Lord, we've all read the history books. That wherever you sent a great revival and a great movement of your spirit, it was preceded through the prayers of your people. And yet, Lord, we often let our own creativity and our own agendas, our own busyness, our own self-righteousness crowd out the truth. And that is we are desperately in need of you. We can do nothing of eternal significance unless you do it through us. And so, Father, we want to remain in that spirit throughout this process of planning. Father, we don't know all the things you want from us, but we know you do, and we know you want to communicate to us, with us. Give us listening ears and humble spirit that we may hear from you. And then, Father, when we know your will, give us the boldness and the courage to step out in faith and be doers of that will. Father, I thank you for so many in this church who through the years have prayed for me and our staff and who truly are are prayer warriors. Lord, I pray you'd raise up a fresh and new generation of young people who depend on you like never before. Lord, would you do a great work of prayer among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.